This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, a disturbing story um, coming out today. A 32-year-old teacher and volleyball coach facing one count of sexual assault. And RNC believe more people may have been contacted through fake social media accounts set up to arrange sexual encounters. The disturbing case involves Marcus Hicks, who appeared in court today. RNC Constable James Cadigan addressed reporters at RNC headquarters this afternoon. And for some reason, we're not hearing um, anything on that. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to try uh, another route to uh, to allow you to hear what um, RNC Constable uh, James Cadigan had to say this afternoon. If you bear with me for a moment, uh, here we go. And no, we're not getting any of that audio, I'm afraid. Um, we're going to go now to... Uh, um, Brian Callahan, who is on the line, he was at the news conference with James Cadigan today and also in the courtroom this morning when Marcus Hicks appeared. Brian, what can you tell us about uh, uh, about this case? Hi, Linda. Yeah, it's nice to have backup, hey, when there's a technical failure. <laughs> now I know why you called. For sure. Um, Absolutely. No, Linda, as you mentioned, he did appear in court today, the suspect. So uh, the one thing that was certainly confirmed today, and as we know, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we can't always report on things that we know may be going on uh, for the same reason the police can't until it's confirmed. And so today the RNC did confirm, first of all, the charges against uh, the charge against um, Mr. Hicks, Marcus Hicks, 32 years old. Um, and the police did confirm he is a teacher and, quote, involved with the volleyball community here in the province. Now, of course, we had heard that, but it's always, as you know, nice to hear that uh, certain things confirmed right from the from the police. And this involves, as we know, for some time, an investigation up on Trails End Drive that's been going on for some time. And, you know, people obviously had known about it, saw the police vehicles, a tent in the backyard, all these sorts of things. And, you know, for obvious reasons, police can't get into investigations and the details of it because they want to protect the integrity of the evidence. And if stuff is out there floating around, they'll never know what's legitimate or what's genuine and what's not and what's just a rumor. So uh, they were keeping their cards close to their chest until today when the charge, well, yesterday when the arrest was made and then today when the charge was laid. And um, then, you know, it's, uh, you know, and we can tell the people, to the public, you know, we sort of hear information that lines up after a while. You know, we have sources, but when the same information is coming at us from unrelated and numerous sources, you can kind of put two and two. And sometimes the police back that up. And again, they did that today by confirming he's a teacher. I've had several personal friends reach out to me saying that their kids were taught by the suspect. Again, this is all alleged. And what is alleged is that he was using fake domain names, basically emails or different, um, two specific different um, uh, identities on social media apps. And the police won't even say which app specifically, because, again, they want to protect that information, um, you know, so they can compare it against other tips that they might get and other uh, witness accounts. So um, we know that he was using, allegedly, these two fictitious identities 
uh, the ident- they're, they're listed on our website. One is Isabella Ricci and another one, Kareen Smith. And the usernames are there on our website. Uh, I doubt anyone's going to jot it down, but if you want to just have a look at the details. And they're hoping, you know, this will um, sort of jog the memories of other people who may have been involved here. And what's alleged is that uh, people were lured with the um, with these fictitious identities or, or usernames, thinking that they were two women. And in exchange, these were specifically out there for sex acts to to engage with these people, make connect uh, connections with them, and then um, uh, meet with them for sex acts. The only thing is, as the RNC pointed out today, there was deception involved in that it wasn't actually. Um, two women or uh, women in these identities, but it was actually allegedly a male and allegedly Mr. Hicks uh, when uh, people would show up at the house. And so far, they've only laid one charge, not that only is, you know, I shouldn't say only, uh, one sexual assault charge is too many, but one charge of sexual assault, and it involves an adult male as well, Linda. So, uh, it's, you know, it should be known that the, the first or the alleged victim here so far, the one that the RNC have identified and laid a charge of sexual assault in connection with is an adult male. Now, that could be 18, could be 19, could be 30. They haven't identified that. They haven't gone that far. They want to, uh, you know, install this, um, you know, trauma-based, trauma-informed approach first, you know, and going back to... You know, the difficulty that they acknowledge people trying to come forward to to make an allegation of sexual assault and fairing the justice system, a la the Snowgrove case, which went through four trials, so uh, almost four trials. So, um, you know, the, they have a trauma-informed approach now, and they're being very careful with the information they put out there. The main thing they want to put out, though, is are these two emails, these two fictitious addresses that were luring, allegedly, uh, males to a house and the deception being that it was actually a man there and not two women. Yeah, and they're using the term concealment. So obviously um, this uh, alleged victim would not have known uh, that they were dealing with the person they thought they were dealing with? That's it. That's uh, that's the uh, the point. And, you know, how that happened, uh, we don't know. Obviously, there are certain details we know that are not going to come out at this stage of an investigation for all the reasons that we already mentioned, protecting the integrity of the evidence and on and on it goes, especially if it ever went to trial and there's a jury. You can imagine how the pool would be tainted by rumors and other things that were flying around, flying around out there, put out there by the police or the prosecutors. So they just won't do that. But it, it, for me, there's all kinds of answer, unanswered questions going through my head, and there's only so much time you have in a news conference. But, you know, concealment and identity, you know, I mean, you could even ask the question, you know, when they got there, was it just the email, uh, the fictitious emails or not even an email address, but the fictitious domain names that they were using or allegedly using, he was using, um, was it just that? Like, were they showing up and was he, you know, and I'm just thinking in my head of possibilities that could be out there. I mean, was he dressed like a woman? You know, I mean, how far did the uh, concealment of identity go? Do you see what I'm saying? Without, uh, I don't think that's crossing a line. It's just like there hasn't been said how far the concealment went. Was it on a voice on a phone? Was it just when they showed up and he opened the door, he was a man and not women, and did people go away? Or is he still at that point saying there's a woman inside and you come in like – it's any number of things, and you could your mind could go anywhere. But what matters is the evidence and what comes out in trial. And right now, we're not even close to that yet. So he appeared today. Other things that we had heard, Linda, that he had uh, allegedly, and I heard it as well from you. You heard it, and I heard it from different sources that he may have harmed himself, the accused, while in custody. And then he showed up today in court 
with a very large bandage on his neck and his wrist. So, um, you know, I, I'm just stating the, the facts and the um, the appearance today. He was very quiet, didn't say much, very brief. Um, and he understood, said he understood that when the judge read the charge and uh, promptly sent back to custody pending a bail hearing on the 12th next week. So uh, police not saying at this uh, stage whether any charges are possible, but obviously this is a very active investigation and uh, they're asking anyone with uh, information to come forward. Yep, this is the primary thing why they're going public with it. It's, it's you know, uh, they talked about, you know, they were all, they're always constantly assessing what's the risk to the public. So while the investigation was going on, they felt the risk was low. So there was no notification during all of that activity around the house. And they pointed out that today. So it's active. And at this point, who knows what could come of it? This is the first hours of this gentleman's name and face being out there. And, you know, we can tell the public that the calls and emails and messages we've been getting, we've been inundated with people who either know of him or have other alleged uh, things to say, um, you know, all allegations. But uh, now that he is the face of this story, uh, was uh, he appeared in court today or, you know, I was there. We have photos and video there. Um, now that he's the face of it, it's uh, who knows where it goes, but uh, that's what the RNC is banking on. Uh, the uh, help from the, the community, the public, and anyone who might have uh, had any interaction with this gentleman through the modes of um, social media that uh, have been pointed out. And when is Hicks scheduled to appear again? Uh, on the 12th, next week. That'll be for bail hearing. So for now, it's, uh, you know, they've just waived any election and plea. Um, there, he had no lawyer there today, too. It was just duty counsel and Crown. So uh, as James Cadigan, the RNC spokesman, said today, it's a very complex investigation, to say the least. They've got a lot of, uh, it's a technical one, too, right? Because you're getting into social media, computer, uh, so forensics of that, as opposed to a so-called crime scene, although there could be that as well. So various tentacles, lots of different units within the RNC involved here. And it could extend to the RCMP as well. Uh, we've been hearing, again, sources from other jurisdictions suggesting uh, that there might be more to this case in other areas of the province, including central Newfoundland. I asked James today about the uh, RCMP involvement. He didn't specifically say they're involved, but he just generally said that they will reach out to any organization that might be able to assist them and wherever the evidence takes them. Uh, Brian Callahan, uh, really appreciate this. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. Uh, Coming up, the Department of Public Safety urging Newfoundlanders and Labradorians to be prepared as peak hurricane season approaches. This is News Talk on VOCN. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. Well, the Department of Public Safety is urging Newfoundlanders and Labradorians to be prepared as we move into peak hurricane season. The Canadian Hurricane Centre keeping a close eye on Hurricane Lee, which is forecast to pass north of Haiti in the Dominican Republic early next week with peak winds in excess of 200 kilometres per hour before it turns northward. Justice and Public Safety Minister John Hogan and Jamie Kennedy, Director of Emergency Services with the province, spoke with reporters including VOCM's Alison King today. We all know, unfortunately, that the world and environment around us is changing. Climate change is making a once-in-a-generation weather events very frequent, much more common. Major hurricanes, floods, and fires have increased in frequency even in recent months. We can look at the recent flooding in Nova Scotia, the deadly fires in Northwest Territories, and in Hawaii, 
and extreme weather events are clearly changing our lives, cities, and our communities forever. Here at home, we saw the devastation of the fires in central Newfoundland. We experienced the impact of Snowmageddon, and we are still feeling the effects of Hurricane Fiona on the southwest coast today. As I speak to you now, we are days away from peak hurricane season. In fact, Hurricane Fiona last year and Hurricane Igor in 2010 formed right around this time and reached our province about two weeks from now. Because of this, this is a good time to remind residents about emergency best practices they can use to keep their friends and families safe and also today to announce the new tool to help people be prepared for these emergencies. We stress all the time, and I can't stress enough, that residents must be prepared to go it alone for at least 72 hours. And we've lost that audio, I'm sorry to say. Uh, we're going to try and uh, figure that out, but basically what uh, John Hogan is saying, it's good to be prepared because, as we know, when an emergency occurs, um, it's important to have those in, those things close on hand. If you've got to leave your home for a period of time, if you're going to be without power or water for a period of time, it's important to have that on hand as opposed to being in the circumstance, being in the situation, whether it be in the middle of the night or when you first wake up in the morning, uh, to have that uh, on the ready and you know exactly where everything is and you know exactly how you're going to conduct yourself for the coming days. So uh, basically asking people, especially at the, in the peak of hurricane season and with um, a forecast that of uh, increased hurricanes in the Atlantic region this um, fall, uh, the possibility of another hurricane making uh, landfall or at least affecting us here in Newfoundland and Labrador is uh, is relatively high. Uh, so it's not outside the realm of possibilities. Of course, we all saw what happened with Hurricane Fiona not that long ago. Um, I'm not sure how to proceed now. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, no audio to share with you because uh, the uh, bulk of this program is based on me um, telling you what happened in the news today and there is a significant amount of audio that uh, we have on the ready to share with you. So um, I have to be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> and be on the ready for the next little while uh, to um, to uh, help you out with all of that. Uh, what we may end up doing now is going to a newscast and uh, see if we can figure out what's happening with uh, this uh, small technical glitch. Uh, do stay tuned. Uh, when we come back, we're hoping to hear a little bit more uh, from the uh, Justice and Public Safety Minister as well as uh, those um, an announcement today at to St. John's International Airport involving Porter, the inaugural flight. It's a direct flight from St. John's to Toronto, welcomed, no doubt, by uh, quite a few travellers. The uh, flight this morning was sold out. Uh, that took off this morning from St. John's International, so uh, with any luck, we'll hear from uh, officials with Porter and uh, the Department of Tourism when we come back after the news break. We're going to go now to Sarah Strickland, who I see is on the ready. Good to see. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, and we'll be back right after this. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. 
And a beautiful day indeed, as uh, Sarah just indicated. Have you been out, Claudette? It's uh, really warm out there again today. Um, it is, and I just feel for my running friends because I know a number of people are going to be running today, and running in the humidity is torture. Oh, it's, it, yeah, keep hydrated. Hydration yes. is the key, yeah. Have that water on you at all times. Uh, well, why would you want to go anywhere when the weather is so great? But uh, travels travelers now have a new option for non-stop travel from St. John's to Toronto Pearson. In case you want to pick up a Jays game, if they're still in it for any length of time, Sarah, she's the big Jays fan here. Uh, Porter's inaugural sold-out St. John's Toronto flight took off from YYT this morning. Executive Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer with Porter, Kevin Jackson, says the new plane has an elevated level of service for all passengers. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for joining us for the official launch of the Embraer E-195 from St. John's. The St. John's has been an important part of our network for many, many years. We continue to fly from this airport with the Dash 8400 to Halifax with onward service to Ottawa, Montreal, and to Billy Bishop Toronto City Airport. As of today, Porter passengers now have the option to use both of Toronto's airports. Billy Bishop for easy access to downtown Toronto, and now Toronto Pearson, which also provides connections to Western Canada. The E-195 is the best narrowbody aircraft available and the most fuel efficient and the quietest. We're extremely proud to bring this airline, this aircraft to Canada where the launch aircraft, excuse me, the launch airline of the E-195 in North America. Since 2006, we have been redefining regional air travel throughout Eastern Canada and bringing back enjoyment to flying And with the expansion of our fleet, we're setting out on a mission to redefine air travel once again, this time from Canada's coast to coast. We are challenging the definition of economy air travel by offering, excuse me, highly competitive pricing for a far superior economy product and an enjoyable passenger experience for everyone who travels with us. Economy is a segment that most airlines shy away from, either because they focus on satisfying the so-called elite travelers, or they're focused on the other end of the spectrum with a discount model that leaves many passengers feeling nickeled and dimed. But at Porter, we are are embracing economy travelers, which make up 90% of the people who fly. And for over two decades, the entire industry has chipped away at the economy passenger experience. And today, for many people, it is a stressful, painful, and a dehumanizing process. No carrier has attempted to remove the pain points for economy travelers and focused on trying to make their experience more enjoyable, and that is what we are trying to do at Porter. We provide a level of onboard amenities for every single economy passenger on our aircraft that is unmatched by any other airline in North America. And that includes, it first starts with more space on board. Porter is the only airline that can promise you that you will have no middle seats in economy. And Porter is well known for our signature free beer and wine served in real glassware to all passengers on board the aircraft. And with a, also with a great selection of premium snacks. And now on longer flights, including this flight from St. John's to Pearson, we offer a choice of fresh, healthy, high-quality meals. It's either part of of the passenger's airfare or it can be purchased on board. And this wonderful Embraer E-195 aircraft also gives passengers free, fast streaming Wi-Fi. We're building on what Porter established over 16 years ago 
and we're making it even better. And we cannot wait to welcome all of our passengers here on board this beautiful aircraft. We hope that you enjoy your journey to Toronto Pearson Airport, and thank you so much. And that's Kevin Jackson. He's the executive vice president and chief commercial officer with Porter uh, on that inaugural flight, uh, St. John's to Toronto Pearson nonstop. Tourism Minister Steve Crocker was also on hand at St. John's International for that inaugural flight. Good morning, everyone. It's certainly a pleasure to be here this morning to celebrate Porter's inaugural direct flight to Pearson from St. John's. For the travel and tourism industry, air access is quite frankly a lifeline. Prior to the pandemic, 75% of all non-resident visitors to Newfoundland and Labrador came by air. These same people account for an estimate 80% of the the non-visitor spend, non-resident spend in Newfoundland and Labrador, which is quite significant. The government of Newfoundland and Labrador values our relationship with both the airport and airlines and remain committed to aligning air access priorities. I'd like to thank Porter and Kevin for their commitment to Newfoundland and Labrador. We value your port partnership. Look forward to seeing where this can take us in the future. Also, I'd be remiss not to mention Dennis, Lisa, Steve, and others here at St. John's International Airport who have done quite a job recovering from the pandemic and their steadfast advocacy for this airport and this province. Thank you very much and enjoy your flight. And that was Steve Crocker, the uh, Minister of Tourism for Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, September is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, and uh, we're going to speak with um, the Executive Director with Prostate Cancer Foundation Canada when we come back right after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And uh, September is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. Prostate Cancer Foundation Canada raising awareness and urging men to get checked. A recent Angus Reid survey shows that 61% of Canadians asked say their loved ones procrastinate in getting tested for prostate cancer, but it's relatively easy to do so nowadays. Leah LaRiviere, the executive director with the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Canada, joins me now. I see that you're uh, speaking out now in the light of a a latest Angus Reid forum survey that shows uh, 61% of Canadians say their loved ones procrastinate getting tested for prostate cancer. How important is it uh, for early testing and uh, detection? Well, if detected early, it's almost 100% treatable. So it's it's really important to, to get tested at an early age, especially if prostate cancer is in your family or if you're a man of color, um, the risk is higher. So it's, you know, we're seeing prostate cancer in, in, in men younger. And I think it's just, you know, it's just crazy that guys don't. And they do. This this survey revealed that they just procrastinate and, yeah, I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it. And sometimes it's not even the number, it's it's knowing that number so that you can follow over the years and see how, how it increases. So it's not necessarily how, how much it increases, but it's how fast the number rises. So, um, yeah, they do. We found that most men just have so many other things to do. We all have busy lives. 
but they're not making it a priority to to get tested, especially if it isn't in their family. They think it's not going to affect them, but it but it could. You know, one in eight will get it. And testing is so simple now. I think one of the drawbacks used to be uh, men feeling that uh, sense of embarrassment or whatever the case may be to get tested, but testing is simple now. Yeah, I mean, there are two tests, the DRE, which is the digital rectal exam, which you were just speaking about, and, and that's used, but it it's not the, the final test. They need a PSA, which is a, a, a simple prick of a needle. It's a blood test. So that's all it is, and it can be included in your routine blood test, blood work that you get done. So, um, yeah, it's pretty easy to get done. It's, you know, if we compare it to us as women with a mammogram, it's a lot. It's a lot more intrusive. So, um, yeah, we need more men to get tested so that they stay healthy. Do you think part of it, too, is an excuse some people just don't want to know? They'd rather not know? I, You know, probably. Um, most guys, exactly, because it is sort of a silent disease. There's not really, it's not like you get you know, a pain in your arm or your, or your big gash on your forehead or something. There's, there's really, you know, there's a few signs and symptoms, but most of it is just, wow, I didn't know, you know? So if they're not feeling that I'm not sick type of mentality, and a lot of men are like that, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. Why do I need to, to go and get tested? And in September, of course, being prostate cancer awareness month, we're really pushing this. If you, if you remember once a year to go do it, um, it would it would help. Of course, you need to talk to your doctor because your doctor is the one that's going to sign off on that and knows your health history. And uh, that's really where you should go is talk to your doctor about it to start that conversation. Hey, on this age, shouldn't I be getting a PSA test? So who should get tested? I've had this argument, I know, with men in my life, and they say, no, I'm too young for that, or you have to be 50, or you have to be 60, or whatever the case may be. But the age is getting younger, is it not? How, how, what, at yeah. what age should you start getting tested regularly? If it's in your family, um, we're 40 to 45, and if it's not, 45 to 50. I mean, there's, the men are getting men are diagnosed in their 40s, and usually it's, it can be a little more aggressive when it's younger. So I mean, not necessarily, but um, so uh, if you've got it in your family, if it's an uncle, a, a father, a brother, uh, 40 to 45, you need to be talking to your doctor about getting starting to get tested. And if you don't have it in your family, um, 45 to 50 is when we say you should start getting tested. And what happens now if 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 that test picks something up what, what how does that normally progress then um well your doctor's going it depends what what the what the results are right what your psa level is at um and then they will send if you you know if you need to you'll go see a urologist you might have a biopsy there's certain there's a lot of things that can happen but um i don't want to really scare people or anything and there's so many different treatment options if it is prostate cancer it might just be that you have a little bit of an elevated psa and you can you can stay with it for a while i mean we have one of our support groups that we have we have many we've got over 80 in the country and um the one is called um, active surveillance 
surveillance or the old watchful waiting where you have prostate cancer, but you don't have any surgery or you don't have any treatment. You just continue watching that PSA level. And a lot of men live like that for many, many years before they find they even need to do anything. So it's not, it's, it doesn't have to be a big scary thing. There are options for different treatments and that is just one of them. And that group, by the way, is, um, is virtual, so you can join it from anywhere in Canada, as most of our groups are. I think it will surprise some people to hear that one in eight men will get prostate cancer in their lifetime. That's astounding. You know, that that number has fluctuated over the years, believe it or not. It, it's gone to one, one in six, one in nine. Um, I... I I would think most guys know this by now. We've tried to drum it in. Um, but, yeah, that's it's pretty high stats. It's the number one cancer for men. So it's it's pretty high stats if you think about it. Pretty high risk. I find it interesting, uh, you know, speaking with you and speaking with others who are involved in uh, prostate cancer awareness, that largely the people we're talking to are women. Um, how important a role do women play in um, ensuring that uh, people are aware of prostate cancer and getting people tested and getting people treated? Yeah, that's a really good question, Linda. It's funny because a lot of people say, why, you know, you're a woman. Why are you, I've been in this, with this organization 25 years. Why are you involved? Well, because it is such an invasive cancer for couples in a way. Um, and women, women are the, tend to be the caregivers that look after their their partners um a lot of a lot of women make the doctor's appointments they push them to go to get tested they push them to the support groups we even have a women's only support group for women dealing with the repercussions of their partner um working through the cancer because it is a couple's disease it affects couples because the man's emotions are going to change a bit sexually. There's issues in continence when you're farther down the road and with treatment options. So the woman plays or the partner plays an amazing role, an important role in the recovery, in the um, just in the day to day holding their hand and guiding them through, which is kind of what our foundation does. We look at ourselves as an organization that embraces the patient and envelopes them in a big hug and says, you're not alone in this journey. We are here to walk you through every step of your journey and be with you for anything you need at all. And it's kind of why our organization has a lot of women in it because we're nurturing and that's what we do. We nurture men with prostate cancer. Take care of the, uh, the people in your lives. Um, uh, how did you get involved? Um, I actually do not have like my, I have a husband and I have four sons and none of them have prostate cancer. It was, I got involved to help the organization when it was very small grow and, um, I have a marketing background. So I was helping them with some of that. And it just sort of, I fell in love honestly with the, the men that I was working with. That sounds weird, but just helping them along their, their journey. And it was just, um, 
just a great cause that I wanted to be involved with. So, um, and here we are today doing what we do right across Canada. And, and I'm very, very proud of, of all the volunteers that have helped us along the way and helped us to do more than, than we thought we would ever be able to do. So, yeah. So Saturday, uh, Saturday. So, uh, September is prostate cancer awareness month. Uh, what, would be the first step if somebody is thinking about either getting tested or uh, learning more? Well, actually, there's a few, lots of, lots happen first, first um, awareness month. The one thing is we're lighting up Canada in blue. And on September 2nd, actually in St. John's government house was blue. Uh, we have over 130 locations across Canada that are lighting up in blue, some for the entire month. Uh, so we want the public to be aware, like you said, one in eight staggering. So they need to be aware of that. We have uh, a website, awarenessmonth.prostatecanada.ca, where you can go and you can change your, your post profile picture and there's posts to share and you can put that on your social media. We also, um, have our free Reef Not Kits. They're information packages that we send out across the country to anyone who's newly diagnosed. And they can, they contain a whole bunch of great literature, some books and a passport along your journey and exercise and nutrition guides. So those are available and that's all on that one website or you can just go to prostatecanada.ca, our main website. So we just want everybody to chat about it. We want you, if you're a woman, talk to your or um, yeah, if you're a woman, talk to your your husband or your partner. And if you have sons that are older, chat with them and say, you know, have you have you had your test? Have you started your PSA journey so that you can know your number and follow your your um, your PSA o- over the years to see if there's a, an increase and just just tell it, tell them it's not it's not a hard thing. It's just a blood test. And it's really important to to catch it early if you are going to have it, and to um, give you the the better tr- the better option of living longer. So awareness month is just is just about that. We're lighting up in blue so that everybody knows. Hey, what's that? That's prostate cancer. You need to get checked. Leah Lariviere, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Linda. And Leah LaRiviere is the Executive Director with Prostate Cancer Foundation Canada. So if you're a man, 45 and older, you should be getting those uh, PSA uh, blood tests regularly. And um, if you're a man 40 and older, uh, the number drops to 40. If you have a family history of prostate, breast, or ovarian cancer in your um, uh, female relatives, or if you are of African descent, there's a higher level of prostate cancer in that particular population. So um, simple blood test, get it done once a year, know your uh, levels, and then you will be prepared uh, uh, for any changes and uh, get um, uh, treatment very early. Well, Claudette. Linda. (laughs) Uh, I think we all know the joke, uh, Florida man, right? Tell me about it. What is it? White socks with sandals? Well, there's always. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, my. I was going to go. It, we just made a joke about your age, too, earlier. 
Um, uh, oh my, I had pictures of um, uh, Speedos in my head just then. Yes. Anyway, uh, no, okay. the joke is that there's always these uh, headlines with Florida man in it. And it's always uh-huh. something absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know, Florida man does the following unbelievable thing. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying, well, I've got one for you. Okay. Uh, the U.S. Coast Guard says that a 51-year-old Florida man <laughs> who was trying to cross the Atlantic Ocean in a man-made hamster wheel. Oh, I saw that story. Was conducting what the Coast Guard calls uh, in um, a, a very subdued kind of way a manifestly unsafe voyage. <laughs> Uh, I don't mean to laugh, but uh, Risa Bellucci is facing federal charges in the U.S. after it took the Coast Guard five days to bring him ashore from a position about 110 kilometers off the coast of Tybee Island in Georgia. Bellucci told the Coast Guard crew that he was trying to ride his hydropod to England and at various points told the Coast Guard that he would harm himself with a knife or blow himself up. Uh, so he was trying to get across the Atlantic Ocean in a hamster wheel. And of course, from time to time here in Newfoundland and Labrador, we see adventurers and the adventurous types. And where would we be in this world without somebody who's willing to stick their neck out and give it their all and try try something that nobody else has tried before. I have no issues with that whatsoever. But uh, when um, you are, you know, doing something that, as the U.S. Coast Guard calls, is manifestly unsafe, <laughs> then uh, then it becomes a problem for all of us, doesn't it? Because uh, those are our tax dollars that go into the Canadian Coast Guard, for instance, who has to go out and save some of these people. So we've seen these kinds of cases in the past where people have been uh, getting out on the water in uh, manifestly unsafe (laughs) vessels to cross the North Atlantic. And um, because we live with it every single day here in Newfoundland and Labrador, we are aware of what the North Atlantic can throw at you. Uh, I think oftentimes, you know, a lot of Newfoundlanders will just, uh, you know, the nod and the wink and say, yes, boy. You're going at that, are you? Uh, You know, that kind of thing. But um, a hamster wheel, a man-made hamster wheel. I think people need to see it. Like, they really should Google it if they have the time just to look at it because it looks like an exceptional uh, water piece of watercraft, the way that the buoys are all arranged in in these circles that... uh, just make it turn um i even though the negative the negative part of it is you're right you know you're wasting all these man-made and hours and people's lives at risk trying to trying to get you but this piece of equipment looks so spectacular i think somebody who's really savvy in inventing should be able to come up with something like that for just use on the beach in the shallow water i think it would be an amazing ride well, there you go. It may be in a controlled circumstance. In an, that's the word. Controlled environment will be key. Yeah, absolutely. But we all know it, too. You know, anything that floats on the surface of the water, if the wind catches it, it'll take you. And we've we've seen that here in Newfoundland and Labrador, both on ponds and in the open water, where people have used floaties, for instance. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that will stop you. You just go if the wind catches you. Okay. So, uh, so all ocean. of those kinds of things, uh, you know... Um, 
it, it might work in concept, but... <laughs> Not in the ocean and put a leash on it and it will work. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there's your latest Florida man story. Uh, Claudette, appreciate this. Thanks for Thank um, troubleshooting us through this uh, last hour. Really appreciate that. And to Jason uh, as well and our engineering team for uh, trying to figure it all out. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye for now.